Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. wonder if you've ever wondered why God made Psalm 1, Psalm 1, and not some other better-known psalm in the collection of psalms that we have. I wonder what psalm you would have chosen if you had been writing the book. Which one would you have put right at the beginning? Some of us here would probably have put Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And we'll have put it there as an encouragement to rest in the presence of God and to know his protection and his grace. Others might have chosen Psalm 23 about the God who is our good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still water. He restores our soul. And how it continues to say that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. And you'd want it there because he is the God who guides and the God who leads us on our pilgrimage with him. Others would still think about pilgrimage and think about Psalm 121, where the pilgrims look up to the hills maybe with fear and anxiety because they don't know what's up there. And they say, uh, um, we see the hills, but where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He won't let our feet slip. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And God is in control. God is guarding us. God is guiding us. It'd be a great psalm to start with. But God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has caused Psalm 1 to be the first psalm. And I think there is a clear reason for that. It's because right at the beginning of the book of Psalms, God calls us to make a choice. And the choice is between two types of people. The person who opts to live the world's way, to be shaped, to have their life and their future, their values and their plans shaped by the world's way of doing things. Or the other person who chooses to see scripture as God's word, and who chooses to put that word at the very center of their lives, their plans, and their lifestyle. I say at the center because of what we're told in the first two verses. We read, uh, verse 1 tells us there is a type of person who is blessed or happy. And the second verse tells us something of the reason for their happiness They delight in God's word. They delight in God's word. Let me say it again to you. They delight in God's word. And on his word they meditate day and night. In other words, blessed are the people for whom the scriptures, the word of God, have a central place in their lives. Now there are many places in the Bible where God speaks about the central place of his word in the lives of his people. 
You may remember in Exodus chapter 19, before Moses receives the word of God, the law in Exodus 20, that something very remarkable happens. The children of Israel are called to the base of the mountain, Mount Sinai. And the Bible tells us there is a thick cloud at the top of the mountain, so they can't actually see the top. But there is thunder and there is lightning. And then the Lord descends in what looks like fire. And if that wasn't enough, there are loud trumpet blasts that get louder and louder. And the whole mountain trembles underneath my feet, their feet. And I want to suggest to you this morning that anyone who was present at that moment will never have forgotten the moment that God gave his law to Moses. It was a genuinely awesome moment of revelation, God's revelation to man. It's as if God was putting on a display to say, attention, this is my word to you. There are other moments, like in Luke chapter 10, where Mary and Martha are in the house with Jesus. And you know the story so well. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. She listens to his word. And Martha busies herself with the preparation. And after a while, she complains to Jesus. And she says, Lord, can't my sister come and help me with the preparation? And Jesus says something which always pulls me up short. He says, Martha, one thing is necessary. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. One thing, she's sitting at my feet. She's listening to my word. One thing is required. One thing is necessary. I think there's an echo there in the words of Jesus, of the words of David in Psalm chapter 27, where he says this, One thing have I desired all my life. One thing do I long for that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord. David says, this is my one thing. This is my passion. This is what's captured my heart. This is my deep desire. This is my one thing. I'm challenged to ask myself the question, Andy, what is your one thing? May I ask you this morning, what's your one thing? It's the deep passion. What is it that grips your heart this morning? I pray that it will be the word of the living God. So Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 because it calls us on our pilgrimage with God to choose to have his word at the centre of all we do. In other words, the psalmist says, if you want to really know what God is like, if you want to really know God, then the way to access him is primarily through his word with the Spirit's help. If you look at the book, you'll be able to see what God is like and what he's doing. <clears throat> last year we went as pastors and along uh, with Ashley Russell to a conference in Peterborough a great wonderful opportunity and we spent three days working very hard thinking about our church and its future and what we might need to do as God speaks to us about planning for future vision it was intensive three days but very good and we met in groups of churches and there were six churches in the room that we met. And I knew a few of the guys, but there was one man across the way and I knew I knew him and I didn't know where I knew him from. I was racking my brains. I know your face. Who are you? Where did I see you? And then it dawned on me. I saw him on the back of the book. It was Phil Moore, the, my hero. 
I didn't faint or anything like that. But it was Phil Moore, and he, he spoke to me. It was wonderful. What a godly guy he is. And what, but, but you see, if I can put it this way in simple terms, I've recognized him from the book. And sometimes when God is at work, it takes us to be familiar with his word for us to understand who he is and what he's doing. Sometimes we recognize him from the book when he is at work in our hearts and in our lives. So blessed, happy is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. It means happy, joyful. But the sentence can also mean this. Blessed is the man who walks a straight path. Blessed is the man who walks a straight path. Some of you will remember my father-in-law, Leslie Fielding. A big man, a godly man, a lovely man. And he once taught my oldest son how to mow the grass in his back garden. Now, I suspect there was an ulterior motive to this. But Sam was thrilled because it was a big petrol mower. It was a real macho thing. And so Leslie said to him, Sam, if you're going to cut the lawn, don't look at the piece of grass that's just in front of you, but look at the end of the grass where you end up, you hope to finish. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish, and as you do that, you will cut a straight path. I think the application of that is very obvious. Psalm 1 is telling us, happy is the one who walks in a straight path according to God's word. There's a New Testament equivalent to that. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, train yourself well so that you can be a person who correctly handles the word of God. And that phrase is also used elsewhere, correctly handles, to say someone who builds a straight road or someone who correctly handles by plowing a straight furrow in a field. In other words, Paul is saying, to Timothy, look Timothy, get familiar with God's word. Train yourself properly in God's word so that you will not deviate to the left or to the right, but that you will walk in a straight pathway according to his word. Blessed is the man who walks a straight pathway with God. But then notice verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I wonder what you delight in. Every Christmas time, I try and order a book. or get someone else to pay for it because it's Christmas. But I try and order a book that I'm going to really delight in over the Christmas period because you've got a bit more time for a few days and it doesn't feel so bad to curl up on the settee and open a book and, and read extensively for your own enjoyment. So I love to do that. I wonder what books you buy at Christmas. Do you know what the best-selling books are before Christmas? Recipe books. As if we haven't got enough food coming our way, recipe books are the best-selling books before Christmas. And, and people buy them in their hundreds of thousands, and they read them before they get them Christmas Day. They go, wow, look at this. I'm going to make this in the new year. When the turkey runs out at the end of March, I am going to make this recipe here. It's going to be fantastic. Do you know what the best-selling books are in January? Diet books. <laughs> Aren't we messed up people, really? We spend a fortune on cookery books and then it's going, no more food, take that away from me, get me something that will make me thin again, please. Blessed is the man 
who meditates on God's word. See, there's a book worth reading that is food to your soul. It will feed you. I love the words of the psalm. I've quoted them this morning and often. David says, he restores your soul, Psalm 23. He says, you know what, magazines probably won't, and the television probably won't, and films probably won't, but there is a God who restores your soul, and this word is food to the soul. If we'll just get into it, happy is the one who meditates, who delights in the law of the Lord. Can I give you some reasons why I think we should delight in God's word? Not just enjoy it, but delight in it. The first is because it gives us a future. Verse 6 says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God wants us to experience his eternal life now and then forever in eternity. Reading God's word helps us to enjoy what God has for us now and leads us into the future that he has for us. Secondly, delighting in God's law will enable us to make the right choices in life, even when they're painful for us. I have a friend called Dave. Dave was uh, in uh, an accident, really, was sacked by a Christian employer wrongfully. And um, it cost him a great deal of money. And I said to him, foolishly, I was so naive, I said to him, Dave, are you going to a solicitor? And he looked at me offended and he said, Andy, I believe that 1 Corinthians 6 tells me I should not take another Christian to court. Therefore, even though it costs me money, I will not take legal action against brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. I learned a lesson that day. I can tell you. It was painful, but he wanted to make a choice according to God's word, not according to his own emotional issues. Third, living by God's law brings us into intimacy with him. We often sing the song, I am a friend of God. And it's true. It's a great song. It's a good song to sing. But in John 15 verse 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey my commandments. So you can sing the song for all you like. But if you know that you're living in a way which is not God's way for you, you have to ask the question, am I really being a friend? Am I really responding to what Jesus has done for me? Friendship with Jesus means we can't ignore what the Bible teaches us. Whether it's about money, or whether it's about work, or whether it's about relationships, or whatever it is, the standard is in this book. That's what we live by. Delighting in God's word also will give you wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 7 tells us, get wisdom, even though it costs you everything. I've often said that real wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. Real wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. I think that's so true. And in fact, the psalm makes it clear because it distinguishes between the law of the Lord and the opinions of this world. The psalm, Psalm 1, distinguishes between the man and the woman who will make the word of God their centre or will make the values of this world at the centre of them. The person who unwittingly drifts away from God. There's a progress here that in the life of the person who drifts away from God is the person who walks with sinners and then stands with them, and then ends up sitting with them. This is the place that I will sit in. This is where I will live from. The place where those who are opposed to God exist. 
And we have a choice of that place or of making the word of God the center of our lives. Happy, says the psalm, happy and blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And then happy is the one who meditates on it day and night. Actually, the word for meditate here has a number of meanings. One of them here is that it can mean to mumble quietly. To mumble quietly. Here's why. Because people didn't have the word in nicely bound Bibles. It was on scrolls, which were big and cumbersome to carry anywhere. And so they learned the word of God by rote, off by heart. In fact, many people, many ancient Jewish people, and even in New Testament days, could rehearse off by heart the first five books of the Old Testament. Anyone want to have a go? And they had to do it because they couldn't refer to a book or a phone or an iPad. And so, because they didn't have the word physically with them, if they wanted to recall it, they would mumble it to themselves. They would speak out the word of God to themselves. Just like we often do when we're in trouble or if we're in celebration or we're praying. We we mumble out the word of God. So to meditate on it means to know it, to be able to ruminate on it, to be able to pass it through our mind and think about it in detail. They're blessed or happy because they're meditating on the truth about God. Now let me say, I think it highlights a problem that we face in the 21st century. The problem for me seems to be that some folk go for what they can find in Scripture that deals with the problem that they face right at that moment. In other words, Scripture is used by some people just to answer the problem I have right now. And there's a great danger in that. There's a possibility for us to read God's Word for information, but not to read it for transformation. And God has given us this word and the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we might be transformed by word and spirit at work in our hearts and lives. We're called to transformation and the word is central to that. If all we want from the Bible is a pep talk, something to cheer us up, well the Bible will do that, but we won't discover much about God's holiness. If we want just a pep talk, an encouragement, we won't discover how great it can be to experience his presence. We won't learn about his expectation that because he is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, we also are called to be holy. If we just want a pep talk, we won't learn that. It's too easy to simply go and turn on YouTube and listen to something encouraging for five minutes. Someone preaching from God's word, someone prophesying even, without putting in the hard work of studying, praying, and listening for ourselves. I am of the opinion, and I'm open to being wrong, but I'm of the opinion that someone can prophesy over you, but if you are not walking a straight path with God, there is no reason why God should bring that prophecy into fulfillment. Blessed is the man or woman who delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night. Again, this Hebrew word meditate, it actually appears in verse 2 of, um, sorry, in, in Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, the word meditate is translated to plot, to think about a plan, to plan for the future. 
And so we learn from this word that those who meditate on God's word, they can form a godly way forward for their life and for their future. They can plan according to God's word the course, the pathway that their life might take. How can we meditate day and night? We've got work to do. Bible reading isn't always easy and time is often at a real premium for you and for me. Let me just suggest some things. First of all, we need to come to the Bible as God's love letter to a broken world. When you come to read it, open it up and tell yourself, this is God's love letter to me and God's love letter to a broken world. Read it that way and see what God says to you. Second, here's the good news. The author is still alive. Hallelujah. God's love letter to us is not from someone who is now unable to communicate with us. But we can say, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us and in us. This is the word you inspired. Please would you speak to me from your word today that I might hear something from your love letter, which is important for me to meditate on. And like we said already this morning, it might be one word. It might be a sentence. It might be a whole verse. At the moment, I'm reading through 1 Peter. I tend to read through a book at a time because when I try to read through the Bible in one year, which is a good practice, I miss a few days. I find myself reading faster than the speed of light and very little goes in up here. So I find myself reading a chapter at a time. But less than that, sometimes there's a verse that jumps out at me and and I'm gripped by the verse. And I come back the next day and I realize I've got to meditate on that verse again because God is speaking to me about that verse and I can't just move on until I feel he's finished speaking to me. Third, we need to understand the type of literature we're reading. The books that we read are a variety of books. There's poetry and there's wisdom and there's narrative history and there are books that deal with mysteries that we won't understand this side of eternity. So if we read a book, we've got to know what we're reading. For example, Psalm 23 again. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we can have a mental picture of God carrying two big sticks, a rod and a staff. But God is spirit, Jesus says in John chapter 4. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God doesn't carry two big sticks. It's picture language. It's poetry. And once we know something about the background of a book... It helps us to read it with greater care, which is why videos like the one that we saw earlier uh, from the Bible Project can be so helpful in our reading of God's words. It's prophecy. Prophecy often tells us something that is true for a particular moment in history or contains a, a word that will about something that will happen in the future or sometimes tells us a principle that is true for all time in human experience. Sometimes prophecy is all three of those things in Scripture. But as we understand the genre of the book we are reading, we are helped also to correctly handle what God is saying. And when we are correctly handling, we too will plough a straight furrow. We will walk straight with the Word of God and with the God who loved us. As I've said already, there are Bible apps. There's plenty of printed literature... Bible dictionaries are brilliant. Bible encyclopedias, commentaries like the one uh, I have mentioned by Phil Moore that can help us on our journey. I recommend that you use them all because you will wrestle with this book all the days of your life if you're serious about Bible reading. 
Friends, we live in what often feels like a very dark world. If we're not careful, then the darkness of the world can wash over into our lives and it can affect our opinions and our understanding of what's going on. Psalm 119 tells us, the unfolding of your word gives light. So that even, it says this, and I'm so glad because I'm talking about me, it says, even the simple can understand. You're glad you're simple this morning. I am. Because the Bible tells me even I can understand the word of God. And when I understand the word of God, when the word of God gains entry, a light gets switched on so often in our hearts. Even in the midst of darkness, God's light can shine in our hearts and in our soul. You know, it's customary for Muslims to refer to Christians and to Jewish people as people of the book. People of the book. I take that as a compliment. I pray with all my heart that this is something that can be said about Bridge Community Church. They are people of the book. People of the word. People who delight in the law of the Lord. And on that law they meditate. Day and night. And then perhaps we'll be like the rest of the psalm that I haven't commented on. We'll be together and individually like a tree planted that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. And as we stay close to the word and yes, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, may we experience the truth that whatever we do for his glory and in his name, it will prosper for his kingdom. Amen. 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 Shall we pray together?